Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. I'm Kristen. Kristen, you want to hear some movie news? Sure. Um, I was reading the internets yesterday and um, saw some movie news involving two of our our favorites, I think, if I can be so bold as to say these people are your favorites, too. Tina Fey and Steve Carell. Oh, yeah. Love them. They've got a movie coming out in April called Date Night, but they might work it together again, because right now they're working on this thing called Mail Order Groom. Oh, man. And it's going to feature... <laughs> you don't sound too happy about it. No, just keep going. It's going to feature uh, Tina Fey as a woman who's unlucky in love. So unlucky that she orders a groom from the Ukraine to be played by Steve Carell. And hilarity will hopefully ensue. Hopefully ensue. I don't know. But let's... I think that you always find humor in in, in uh, situations that already exist. And so then I tried to see if I could mail order a groom. Yeah, I didn't get you got one coming. I didn't get any options. I couldn't find. I couldn't really find good sites. You couldn't mail order a groom in this day and age. I couldn't find any that I wanted. Yeah. I mean, maybe I didn't. Maybe I wasn't searching far and wide enough. But I googled. I saw my results, and I was like, eh. But then I was like, well, mail order brides are they still a thing? And they are. And they are big time. There are, this is going to an article that we found, um, a 2006 ar- article in Harper's. It is estimated that well over 100,000 women across the world are listed on the internet as available for marriage to Western men. Wow. So it's not really, you know, like the male, we think of male order brides, you know, the old West, the old Sarah cowboy. Plain and tall. Sarah Plain and tall, yeah. Those riding, farmers would have to ride off for a wife. Yeah, get a, get a wife shipped in from, uh, from the West. But now with the, uh, the magic of the, the interweb, uh, it is, mail-order brides are a robust business. It's a booming business, yeah. yeah. But whereas, you know, in the Wild West, we have this this vision of very proper ladies mm-hmm. who probably already had maybe a small fortune to their name coming out to this brand new land. It's sort of the reverse now. Now it's more women who lack resources hoping to come to men who already have them. Yes. So there's a different sort of um, money dynamic that plays into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you obviously have to pay mm-hmm. for these brides. I mean, it's not like, 
going on doing online dating where, you know, you can just like meet up with someone and hope you hit it off. You, uh, there's, there's some fees that go along with this. Like for this Harper's article, the author sort of did a mail order embedded mission and he, uh, paid $4,000 to a company called a foreign affair, uh, that basically took a group of men to the Ukraine for a bride hunt. Mm-hmm. It would have all these women come to these social events, kind of like it reminded me of Millionaire Matchmaker on mm-hmm. Bravo mm-hmm. on steroids. Yeah, because it would be like five guys and then 200 women yeah, would come in. Hordes of women. And they would have these dossiers with photos of all the women and their names and everything so that they could kind of pick out who they liked and remember their names. Then they'd have little slips of paper that they could... You know, write their phone numbers down and then maybe take them on a date later. But they would literally meet hundreds and hundreds of women and then a week later, hopefully leave the Ukraine with a fiance. Yeah. I mean, if that's what I call romance. OK, <laughs> well, you know, when we were reading these articles, I think that it's very easy to get judgmental. We were talking about this before we came in, how, you know, we like to be non-judgmental about all our topics. But it is kind of hard to divorce yourself from a little sense of the creepiness yeah. Of five guys going to the Ukraine and meeting these hundreds of women. And, you know, this Harper's article by Christopher A. Guerin points out that, you know, some of these guys treat it as a little bit of a sex tour. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they meet these women. They're kind of auditioning women yeah. for the role of wife. And like you said, it is kind of a reality show on steroids in terms of the opportunities they get and um their attitude toward it. but let's let's back up a little bit and let's try and be a little non-judgmental about it. Well, let's maybe talk about a little bit about the history of uh mail order brides in the United States. We mentioned the idea of the kind of the old west mail order brides, but even before that, uh Louis the 15th actually sent over women referred to as casket girls from France to marry Louisiana colonists in the early 18th century. And they were f- referred to as casket girls because of the, uh, I guess, the shape of the chests that they were given to to bring all their belongings in. Mm-hmm. Now, this article points out that, you know, while we have this vision of Wild West Miller Brides happening all the time, it probably was not, you know, that omnipresent. It wasn't like every man was writing home. But I think we mentioned this in our online dating podcast. There were, you know, many magazines of the day that would have, you know, a bride option Mm -hmm. in the classifieds. It was a way to meet people. Yeah. And as we mentioned, online dating internet, as you already said today, Kristen, it, it really, it really expands the business just because it opens it up to everyone with an internet connection. So for a while, this was very popular in just Southeast Asia. And then in the mid 1990s, there was just this huge boom of women when the Soviet Union collapsed of women hoping to make a better life for themselves in America. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's sort of where the main two markets for this occur in Southeast Asia and the and the old Soviet Union. Now, the interesting thing, too, when we're looking at the history of mail order brides is also the resurgence in the United States that takes place in the 1970s because it kind of dies out. For a little while in the 20th century, once, I guess, probably once, you know, the United States starts to fill up and there are available men and women around. When there's no more Wild West. Yes, when the Wild West was won. Uh, but then in the 70s, we have more men returning to this mail order system. And they largely blame it 
on the feminist movement. Yes. Apparently, us American women got too, too uppity for our too, own good. Too many wacky women just throwing their aprons away and going off to work. How dare we think we could be equal? Yeah. It really affected male-female relations. I mean, but that's why I think we're starting to bring in our own perspective on it, Chris. I mean, it's impossible not to, because I feel like every article we read on this phenomenon featured some quote from a guy that would kind of just rub you the wrong way, mm-hmm. like, oh, I just wanted a woman who'd cook my dinner and take care of my kids. I think the phrase traditional values comes up. But that's lot. not to diss traditional values. Sure. But I think that, you know, they um there was just sort of this, oh, I mean, I think it's wrong to pinpoint that all American women have thrown away traditional values yeah, and that all um, Southeast Asian or Ukrainian women have them. Yes. You know, that's where it gets kind of, you know, it rubs you the wrong way is that we're, we're relying on these mass cultural stereotypes of how feminism works in the world. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's valid. That seems to be why these men go over there is they want, you know, the opposite of what an American woman is portrayed to be. But the modern mail-order bride industry really started as just a simple business venture. Uh, the New York Times, this is an article we found from 1992, actually. Uh, the New York Times attributes it to a man named John Broussard, who in 1974 expanded his import business of bowls and vases to uh, to women, to Asian women. Yeah. I mean, if you like their handicrafts, you'll probably like their women. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you know, now there are hundreds of these firms online. What started was that, with that simple import business. Now, um, basically you can sign up with a service, like the, the popular one that the Harper's article deals with is called a foreign affair. But if you, just a simple Google search will turn up tons of them. Things like russianwives.com, asianwives.com, you know, all sorts of variations on that theme. And basically, uh, Harper says that a ma- that a foreign affair could take a man from the from sign up to wedding for about ten thousand dollars, from your membership fees to the fees of ordering the addresses for these women, um, to the dates, to the trip over there to meet her, etc. Ten thousand dollars, ten grand. Hey. Now, all right, let's have some feminist sensibilities kick in and say, hey, women are for sale. That's that's not good. Yeah. And some organizations will classify this as human trafficking. But, you know, what these people would say in return is that, hey, the women sign up to do it. They get to say yes or no. It's not like, you know, the man kidnaps the woman. She says, yes, I will marry you. Of course, you could argue that if she doesn't speak English, that maybe maybe the uh, the distinction is is small. But, you know, it's basically a glorified form of online dating. You know, two people meet via the Internet. It's just that, you know, one of them paid an awful lot of money to to do so. But once the mail order brides are united with their prospective husbands in the States or in other countries, there's actually uh, it's very, very popular for Filipino women to um, kind of go over to uh, what was it? South, South Korea. Korea. And once the marriage is finalized, things can can definitely go wrong, as you can imagine. Culture with, shock. Yeah, culture shock with these situations. Um, and sometimes there is domestic violence that happens. These women will leave. The men will go crazy. Who knows? And so the U.S. has actually instituted laws in 2005 to... Protect, add, provide more protection for these women and kind of make sure that nothing shady is going on in these, in these essentially marriage deals 
that are being brokered. And uh, President Bush signed the International Marriage Broker Regulation Act, or IMBRA, in 2005. And uh, under this new law, uh, any IMBs... Uh, International marriage brokerage. Yes. Uh, Under U.S. jurisdiction would be required to provide prospective brides with detailed information on any client requesting their information, including a search of federal and state sex offender registries and a copy of the client's stated marital and criminal background to basically make sure that these women are not marrying some deviants. Yeah, because there were a, a number of unfortunate cases where... You know, not only was there domestic violence, but actually the women were murdered. Mm-hmm. Probably most notable, I think, um, is a case, the case of Anastasia King, who's, um, who, she was the second, um, male or a bride that this man had brought over. The first one had a restraining order against him, and he had already started the process of finding a third one. So they were saying that, you know, this process is a little bit like a one-way mirror, where the guy gets, like you said, a dossier on these women, and the women just show up and hope that they're picked, because... Right. You know, they're in a country where there are a few educational opportunities. The men, uh, they're talking about the Ukrainian men, you know, they drink, they have shorter lifespans, they smoke, they don't treat women with respect. That, you know, they do have these traditional values that men seek, but it's not like, you know, they are, they're getting something out of it too. Well, yeah, I mean, and there, there are far more economic opportunities to be had in the U.S. compared with a place, you know, like the Ukraine. Right. So things like Ember are designed to give a little bit more transparency to these women who, yes, they're eager to get out of a bad situation, um, but, you know, they don't want to step right into another bad situation. Yeah, and as you can imagine, in our post-9-11 uh, environment, home, the Department of Homeland Security has become more vigilant on running background checks on Americans who are petitioning for a fiancé or spousal visa to... I guess, crack down on a little bit more on people coming into and out of the country. So regulations are being tightened some, but there it's still a very common, I guess, relatively common thing. Mm-hmm. I think one article made the point that instead of becoming more of a fringe thing, it might become more commonplace as time goes on. Because like I said, it sometimes it can just seem like a glorified form of online dating, but sometimes it does seem like this very seedy sex tour kind of thing. Well, let's talk a little bit about maybe the, like, who who are the men who are ordering these brides? Go for it. Uh, and, well, the, I will say these statistics are a little bit dated. However, they I'm going to guess that they probably still apply and in general. And since these companies are loath to give out who actually comes to them, there aren't more updated statistics. Yeah. And these are from Im- Immigration Services. And the men are generally white, 94% at the time, politically and ideologically conservative. They're generally pretty well off. Uh, their median age is 37. And 57% had been married at least once, and most had been divorced after an average of seven years of marriage. And that was one thing that came up in the Harper's article uh, was that a lot of the men who were on this Ukrainian bridal tour were kind of bitter about uh, their, their divorce. A lot of them were divorcees and they just wanted, you know, they wanted a woman to come in there and take care of their house and just be sweet on them and not question them about money, not question them. And, you know, just, just take care of things, take care of the house, right? Because they've been burned in the past. By these feminist American women. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of going back to you, I said that traditional values is something that comes up a lot. And this is something mentioned in the Immigration Services report. It says most of the persons 
uh, person, most of the personal reports from American men who have married women through these agencies talk about traditional values. That is, American women are thought uh, not content to be wives and mothers, but seek personal satisfaction through their own careers and interests, whereas these foreign women are just happy to come and just be good housewives. So who are these women who will be the good housewives? From the same Immigration, immigration Services report, and uh, there was one study that looked at five of the most popular catalogs offering Asian women. And 70% of those women were Filipino, despite the fact that um, in the Philippines, they have passed Republic Act number 6955, which makes these listings illegal. And you may remember, um, I think it was a year, a year and a half ago, Alec Baldwin made some joke mm-hmm. about getting um, a Filipino mail-order bride, and it caused all sorts of drama. I think he's not allowed to go set foot in the Philippines now. Just because that country has had a lot of problems with their women being sold into sex slavery, um, into situations where there's domestic violence... Um, you know, there, there, it's been sort of a, a big source of culture shock and the women don't fare as well as maybe some of these other cultures do. So it's outlawed, but they're still getting into these listings. Mm-hmm. Um, 70% of them in that study were, were Filipino. 16% were Indonesian, 8% were Thai, 2% Malaysian and Japanese, and 1% Chinese and Korean. But as we said, there was, um, this huge influx of women from the former Soviet Union. And the difference between the Asian women and the Soviet Union women is that um, the Asian women are usually younger. Yeah, 41% of the Asian women are generally between 21 and 25. And remember that the median age for the men who are essentially buying these women, if you will, is 37. So there's usually a very large age gap. Right. And, you know, the Harper's article talked about going to one of these socials where all these women are circulating and trying to get the male's attention and that, you know, when the women weren't there, the men amongst themselves would say, you know, I want a partner. I want an equal. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, she can't have any money, but, you know, I do want a companion. They're trying to, you know, maybe class up their reasons a little bit. And the writer says that, you know, the 40-year-old women who perfectly met their description would circulate and get no attention. Yeah, perfectly attractive women. And the men would just flock to these very young women. But uh, the, the immigration services stats do point out that um, women, the brides who come from uh, former Soviet Union countries, tend to be a little bit older, where uh, the majority of them are between 26 and 30. So still not, I mean, they're still in their 20s, um, but, but a little bit older. A l- little bit older. And most of them, you know, do you say they want a better life and that they find American men attractive? They're yeah. the movie stars of the world. Yeah. I will say, once again, from that Harper's article, the author did not do any of those men any favors. They didn't sound, wasn't like a, a bunch of... Uh, Brad Pitt's heading over to the Ukraine. Pick out a why. But the problem, I think, is um, are are examples like the ones posted in the Harper's article, are they the norm? Or are they the exception that make a good story? Because we did find one 2006 New York Times article um, that was going over the impact of IMBRA after President Bush signed it into law. And there was this one guy. I mean, they seem to have, you know, a fairly sweet love story. He'd yeah. fallen in love with a girl from Latin America. Uh-huh. And he said, I think it would be easier to get a bag of heroin into this country than to get, you know, the woman I love into this country. Yeah, he'd like, he's gone over there to visit her. I mean, they maintain a long distance relationship through, um, through phone and video chats. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that, you know, that was sort of a, an example that's not often seen where this story is, um, presented of, you know, quote unquote, Normal guy, normal girl falling in love. Right? Yeah, because I will say, I mean, we probably have have been uh, 
you know, judging these, these men pretty harshly saying, oh, you know, you have to pay for a wife and why are you doing this? I mean, you pay to join eHarmony. That's why I keep saying a glorified form of right. online dating. And I do think that those seedy men make a better story mm-hmm. than, you know, a perfectly normal guy who just happened to, you know, fall in love with a girl from Latin America. But a, long, a lot of times, though, Molly, these mail-order marriages don't really last very long. They not don't. Not surprisingly. <laughs> I mean, even when there's not violence um, or death, unfortunately, you know, and those normal guys would say that those are just the unfortunate things that make the headline. But according to immigration services, who, of course, you know, they do have reason to worry about this. The most common times for mail order brides leave the marriage are immediately three months after marriage when they get a green card or two years after marriage when they get their receipt of non-conditional permanent residence. Um, so if you're if you're concerned about immigration, it you know, if you've seen the movie Green Card. So, you know, well, maybe maybe in this sense. OK. Maybe we shouldn't be judging these these unions, these brokered marriages too harshly because the men are paying for something. But the women, in a way, are probably using the men for something as well. They want American citizenship. They want to be able to stay over here and make a life for themselves. And someone's going to pay their way to do that. And even in the Harper's article, some of the women just wanted to get the free champagne at the at the socials. Yeah. And they, you know, go out on dates and order really expensive dinners, which caused the men to say some really jerky things. But, you know. It's it's squid pro quo. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like these men just can't escape uh, crafty women just <laughs> looking out for their own that good. Feminism will make its way around the world eventually. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, mail order brides still going strong. Yeah. Simple Google search. I did not do the Google search for it because I just, <laughs> she didn't want to get in trouble with our Internet. All those poppies. And I've got all sorts of things in my search history now. Um. But yeah, what do you guys think? Is it is it just a form of online dating that shouldn't be judged, or is there, or are women being bought? Is yes. it is it creepier? Is it creepier? Yes. Or is, are you a male or a bride? Yes. Or a guy who's ordered a male. Any anybody, just email us. It's uh, momstuff at howstuffworks.com, and we got a little bit of listener mail to share with you guys. So to start things off, I've got an email here from Diana, and she wrote us about the episode we did on placentophagy, a.k.a. eating your own placenta. And she said, uh, you said that lower mammals eat their placentas, but all placental mammals eat their placentas, even great apes like chimps. Uh, one good reason that humans or other animals would eat placenta in the wild is because it smells of blood, which attracts predators. However, placenta has been, e- been eaten by so many animals for so many millions of years, it would be surprising if it's just a way to transmit nutrients between the mother and the fetus and did not also evolve as an important food and nutrient source after a physiologically traumatic event, even not to mention how many calories the mother will soon be expending on breastfeeding. One other small thing that you all have said a few times is, quote, the good of the species. As has been laid out in popular books like The Selfish Gene, it's really the individual, the carrier of a conglomeration of genes, that the selection acts on. If adaptions were for the, quote, good of the species, we would all be much nicer to each other, not trying to out-reproduce each other. So, thank you, Diana. All right, I have one uh, email that's not signed, but I'll just read it. It says, looking back at my childhood, I have to say without question that I was a brat and complete bully. So this is about our bullying podcast. I probably should have specified that. Um, my mean ways have slowly disappeared over the years, but to help with those who need dealing with bullies, I could probably help with my experience. 
Standing up for yourself is the most effective way to get a bully to stop. Whenever someone stood up to me, I was like, oh, hey, they're sticking up for themselves. No fun now. Got to find someone new. Also, being witty and smart helps, too. There's no better way to make a bully cease than to make them feel incompetent without them really knowing what you just did. My advice is limited since this was years ago. And one more thing, have confidence in your own capabilities. Bullies are insecure, and I had plenty of insecurities growing up. Knowing how amazing you are definitely helps in defeating bullies because you know that they can't be and won't be as strong as you are. I hope this helps your younger readers. So thank you, former bully. And then to close things out, I've got a short email from Layton. She says, and this is in response to our episode on Do Kids Need a Mother and a Father? And she said, I'm 13 years old, and my mom is a single mom, and I spend 98% of my time with her. I do go visit my father every other weekend for two days, but I go to a private school and get the best education possible, all thanks to my mom. While my dad helps out, I live a very good life just with my mom. My mom does the work of two parents with the energy of one mom and does a very good job all by herself. So to make a point, I believe that any kid will be raised correctly, whether raised by gay, lesbian, one, two, or 16 parents. So thank you, Leighton. And again, our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And during the week, we would love for you guys to head over to our blog. It's called How To Stuff. And if you want to read other articles that Molly and I have written, you can go over to our little home. It's called howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.